morning we are going to be diving back into the book of Nehemiah and if you do have your Bibles with you you might find it helpful to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Have you ever heard something so shocking that you thought I really have to go and see that for myself? Um, just, just recently in the news we'd heard about the, the British tourist who had gone to Rome and had scratched the initials of himself and his fiancée into the wall of the Colosseum. And I have to admit, when I, when I saw that, my immediate reaction was, oh, I'm going to have to go and see that one day. Um, there's something, isn't there, about actually go in and physically seeing something to get that full sense of the impact of that. And I've been wanting to go to Rome for a while, but, but generally it did give me that urging to think, I want to go out there and see this for myself. And would you believe it, he's written a letter of apology and said that he only realized recently that it was a, um, a place of national antiquity. Um, and that's that's his reasoning for it. I'm not really sure that that's going to work for him um, as he tries to deal with this. Probably better to stick with sorry, I think, sometimes, um, isn't it? But, but actually, I wanted to, to capture that because there's something about that idea that Nehemiah, before we came to the passages that we're looking at today, he'd heard something which was shocking to him. It was something which, which really, really sank deep within him as he heard this news. And he was so deeply affected by this news that the walls of Jerusalem were still in rubble. That he thought, I'll have to go out there and see for that myself. Because for Israel, Jerusalem was a sign of God's relationship with them. It was a sign of God's faithfulness. And Jerusalem almost provided a certain sense of security within that relationship. So what must it mean when this place, which is so important to your identity, you hear is still standing in ruins, that it doesn't have the protection that you believe that that place should have. What would anybody looking in from the outside think of this place? I mean, when the temple was built, it tells us in 1 Chronicles, it says, now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And it says, build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you can bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy vessels of God into the temple built to honor the Lord's name. This wasn't just a place. This was a, a representation of what it means for God's people that God was present with them. And so when Nehemiah heard this, when he heard about the state of the walls of Jerusalem, you can imagine how that would have really have sunk his heart. We hear about how he mourned for it, how his heart was so burdened. And then here we see that he goes to visit it in person. 
You can imagine him sitting there. Well, I'm imagining him sitting anyway, as he's just looking and reflecting on the destruction of the walls. He describes how the gates were burned, and you can imagine how the rocks as well would have been singed with the black of this fire as well. I can imagine him just sitting there looking across this wall, working his way around the city, and just being more deeply and deeply affected by what he saw. I can imagine what that was like somewhat, because actually it was almost five years to this day that Rachel, my wife, and I, um, with our family, we were on holiday, holiday and we were in Switzerland at the time, and we had some friends who were looking after our house. And we had a phone call, and it was from Rachel's dad, and he said there'd been a little fire in our house. And he said, not to worry, the fire services came, and they, they dealt with it, and, and it's okay, carry on enjoying your holiday. And we thought, okay, this is, this, is, this is okay, there's probably been a little bin that has gone on fire or something like that. Well, actually, it was probably maybe five minutes or so later that we managed to reach our friends who were looking after our house, who you'll be pleased to know we're still friends with. Um, and they actually said to us, actually, you're not going to be moving into your house when you come back. Um, we'd, we'd had a fire in our kitchen, it was the tumble dryer, not one of the tumble dryers that had been recalled, um, but the tumble dryer had set on fire and it had burnt through the whole kitchen, it had burnt through the floor up above, and if anyone's been involved with fire damage, the, the soot is unbelievable. When we heard about this, we, we couldn't quite fully comprehend what it is that had happened because we hadn't experienced the fire of the house thank goodness um, but also we we couldn't comprehend fully what the the impact of that would be but i remember when we came home from holiday and we came back to our house and it was like a shell everything was soot covered the destruction was impossible. When you see piles of your stuff piled outside your house, where the fire brigade literally smashed a window to throw it out to try to contain the fire within the house. This is your place which is to do with your identity. It's, it's the place where we have so many memories that we shared with our children. It's as much representative of who we are because they say home is where your heart is and you invest your heart within your house. And so I can almost see that as Nehemiah was looking at the walls of Jerusalem and how that affected him so deeply. That he thought, I am going to have to do something about this. And if any of us we're feeling so deeply affected by something which we call home, then there's different ways that we can approach how we can deal with this hurt, this burden with inside ourselves. I mean, when we looked at our house, it was pretty small, really. 
Um, it, was, it was a house which we couldn't imagine what the job was going to involve. We didn't realize it's going to take a year for the builders to come in and basically fully strip it back to the brickwork and then recreate our house for us. Now imagine if you were looking at the walls of Jerusalem and thinking, I've got a burden for this, but what can I do? Just one person. I think it would have been fair enough if he came and he mourned and he prayed and then he went home. Or maybe if he just started just there, just picking up some rocks and just piled them on top and thinking, I'm going to just personally make a difference. But he didn't actually do either of them things. Instead, he rallied others to his cause. He said to the other people who Jerusalem would have had a special place in their heart, and he said to them, come, let us rebuild. In this statement, Nehemiah's faith in God and the role of God's people, it was unravering. Nehemiah both provocatively and invitingly called God's people to come and take action, to take responsibility for their home, for the home which had been entrusted into their hands by God. And by putting himself forward, Nehemiah, I would like to think, unwittingly took on the responsibility of being a leader. And this is not a responsibility to be taken lightly, that's for sure. Now, a recent survey compiled by all the qualities that people expect from the perfect Christian leader, you might have heard this before, says that a perfect Christian leader preaches exactly 12 minutes or 28 minutes if they're a Baptist. Um, I added that bit. Um, quite proud of that, thank you. Um, this leader frequently condemns sin, but never upsets anyone. Um, they work from 8 a.m. until midnight, and is also the janitor. They're 28 years of age, and has been preaching for 30 years. Um, they're wonderfully gentle, and they're good-looking, apparently, as well. Um, they have a burning desire to work with teenagers, but is always with the senior citizens. They make 15 daily calls to church families, visit shut-ins and the hospitalized, evangelizes to the unchurched, and is always in the office when needed. Well, what do we learn about real leadership from Nehemiah? Well, I think originally we learned that actually a leader inspires a vision. It is the vision that is the guiding force of any leadership. 
it's not so much about the characteristics or the charisma or how a leader lives up to the expectations of what people think a leader should be like. Instead, a leader inspires vision that the congregation, the church, the community can gather around, that can be a part of. And we see this in Nehemiah because his reaction to seeing the walls, to going there and, and touching, feeling the destruction, really allowing it to settle into him what this means to God's people, his reaction was to say, come let us. He recognized that this was something this was a vision that God had placed on his heart that the whole of God's people needed to capture, that they needed to be a part of. And as he shared that vision with God's people, he shared about his conversation with the king. He shared about how the hand of God was upon him. He even demonstrated that he got his hands dirty by going to the wall, by going to the site, and being able to express in first person the reality of what it was that he was speaking into. Now, with the king's blessing, he could have gathered various craftspeople, and he could have just instructed them from afar, but he didn't. Instead, he appealed to the people to think upon what the very crumbling walls which he had visited represented to them and to those around them. In doing this, Nehemiah took the people with him. Now, in the passage that we're looking at, it describes all of this in two sentences. And in some ways, I wish that we actually could have had a much more fuller description of what it was which Nehemiah actually told the people as he expressed this vision which had been laid on his heart. Because he did. It says very clearly he told them. And it stirred something deep within their heart. But I think the reason why it stirred something so deep within their heart was because it wasn't just any vision. It, it wasn't just a plan which popped into his head, but instead it was God's vision. He says about this where he says, the plans God has put in my heart for Jerusalem. And how when he then explained these plans to the people, he said, I told them about how the gracious hand of God has been on me. In a God-placed vision, we seek where the Spirit is moving rather than who we feel is the most qualified or even who has the most potential. We need to ensure that we are merging together all of the above. It says in Proverbs that many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. A vision is not going to be anywhere near as successful if this isn't something which God has placed within our hearts. 
And I think that's where, secondly, leadership is faithfully preparing and equipping others for what God is doing and the changes that it would bring. I would say that often leaders find themselves unwittingly in a position where people are following them. Or certainly the best leaders find themselves in a position where people are following them. They lead by their heart rather than by their sense of self-worth or their sense of ambition. And I think Nehemiah is actually a really good example of this because Nehemiah, as we heard before, he was a cupbearer to the Persian emperor Artaxerxes I. And because his, hand, his name is quite hard to pronounce, I would like to think that his friends would have called him Artie because that definitely would have been easier to pronounce. And Nehemiah in that position, it was quite a privileged position because it did mean that he was a close confidant to the king. And we can see that because not many people would have been afforded the opportunity to be able to speak to the king about something that was on their heart. But also, he was expendable. Because as a cupbearer, part of his role was also to be testing drinks and food and so on before the king was to eat it to ensure that the king wasn't going to be poisoned. So on one hand, he was in a position of a certain amount of influence. But on the other hand, he wasn't even necessarily the picture of the kind of leader that we may have expected someone like him to be. If anything, he was an ordinary person who had this burden, this passion laid upon him by God. And that God allowed him to grow this into something great by planting this vision within him. Solomon, who knew a thing or two about building temples, he said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And that word for, for house, it's actually the word which was often used to represent the dwelling places of people, but it was also used to represent temples as well. And it represented this sense of identity, this sense of security and a person's place in the world. And so as I look back and I think about what our house, when we had our house fire, represented for us, what it meant to us as more than just a material possession, I think that also captures the idea of actually what Jerusalem, what the temple, what the walls, what the idea of God's house was supposed to represent in the heart of God's people. And this burden to build this house, to build this house for the Lord, this is a burden which God has placed in all of us. Because all of us have this yearning 
this yearning for a place that we can call home. And not just the home that we sleep in at night or live in during the day, but even the places that we call home in the world around us. The places that we can go to where we have this real sense of this represents who I want to be and who I associate myself with in the world. And as we are thinking during this season around this idea of rebuilding the church, I think that is really relevant because a church is supposed to be so much more than just a material possession. It's meant to capture this deep sense of what it means to identify ourselves as followers of Christ. When Nehemiah went and he mourned over the walls of Jerusalem, that burden that he had should be the same burden that should be welling up in us when we're thinking about the community that we want to be a part of. Because this is a continuation of the house that God has asked us to build. Each and every one of us represents the house of the Lord. And this should be a place which is a place which allows us to reflect into the world what it means to dwell within this house of the Lord. And so when God places a vision on the heart of one person like Nehemiah, we learn that he doesn't just place that vision in that one person. He places that vision in the heart of others as well. Everybody who is privileged to call that place a home. And that vision may not be a plan of what exactly each and every one of us are going to do. It may just be a vision that will allow us to develop the kind of qualities that God is able to bless within us. It may be that God is given each and every one of us promptings or stirrings or pictures of who we could be, how we can take part in the vision that Jesus is laying upon all of us. And as we look at Nehemiah, as, as we learn from his experience of having that vision placed on his heart, then we can learn as well that when we're feeling burdened by God's vision, when we're trying to work out what it is that God is calling us to into the future, that we need to create space to allow all of us to listen and seek what God's guidance is within that. And this is exciting because there isn't just the role of an important few people. As we're rebuilding, this isn't just about the leadership coming up with great ideas, whatever that may be. Actually, this is a role that everyone is called to be a part of. And we see this in Nehemiah when he said, come, let us rebuild. And there is a little warning. He did warn at the end of the passage that there will be discouragers. But then let's 
not allow discouragers to discourage us from living out God's vision within our lives. And I don't think we should spend too much time on that. Because we should be focusing, shouldn't we, on what it means to be rebuilding. To be thinking about what is it that God is placing on our heart. Because God placed a vision in Nehemiah's heart. And in becoming a leader, Nehemiah prepared and equipped God's people for what God is doing and the change that it would bring. And it was an invite to build a home where they felt safe, where they could belong. And after hearing this vision, they didn't think, oh, we need to have a much longer discussion about this, or maybe we need to just wait and just see how the dust is going to settle. Instead, it says they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And then it said, so they began the good work. So let us just pray. And I'd just like to just pray, actually just using the words of the song that we sung earlier because they just felt so relevant to the message that was on my heart to bring today. So let us just pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. So we pray that the glory of your name will be the passion of the church. And we pray that the righteousness of God will be a holy flame that burns. And we pray that the saving love of Christ will be the measure of our lives. Because we believe that you're all to us. Amen.